Awesome. You got your Bibles? Going to go to Luke, Luke 15. Luke 15. Great. You know, one of the greatest privileges in the world that we have is we have a Bible. You know, I, um, I think back to the, uh, the time that this, all of these stories were recorded, they didn't have uh, as, as much access to Scripture as we do now. Um, and we're incredibly, uh, incredibly privileged, but also incredibly challenged by the fact that we have so much access to Scripture, because I think sometimes we take it for granted. Um, and, uh, and I just want to just encourage us, you know, uh, Scripture is so important to our, our following Jesus particularly when we, we read it well, we interpret it well, um, and we apply it well in our lives in the same way that Jesus applied it when he lived on earth. You know, he's our greatest model. And so I want to I tell um, a bit of a story this morning. This is a really famous one, and I'm going to read it straight out of uh, Scripture. Most of us know it. If you don't, that's okay. Um, you'll know it as of this morning. So uh, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 11. And Jesus is talking about the idea of, uh, he's illustrating through three stories, he's illustrating God's passion for people and his heart as a father for um, helping people to be found, to find their identity, to find their place in his kingdom and in who he's created them to be. And uh, this is probably the most famous of the three stories. It's called um, Many Names. In, in the translation I'm reading from this morning, um, it's called the parable of the lost son. Um, some people know it as the prodigal son. Uh, ancient, uh, the ancient title of it was the story of the loving father. Um, and I think, I think that one's incredibly powerful. And that's why I want to read it this morning, because it's Father's Day. Um, so I want to start, um, I want to talk about fathers this morning. I'm going to use this as our, our point to bounce off. And I want to start by saying this statement. Fathering is not about gender, neither is sonship about gender. It is about identity and it's about function in terms of uh, what God does for us and who we are as his children, okay? So one of the things that I'm super conscious of and, and I love the fact every time I hear Shane Willard and if you haven't heard Shane Willard, that's okay. Um, he's a good friend of mine, uh, just incredibly kind, generous man who's, I think, at the moment, one of the best Bible teachers in the world. Um, but every time he gets up to speak, he says, um, he says this, he says, words don't matter. It's the imagination that people have that when you say words, that matters. In other words, if I say the word father, you will all have an imagination wrapped around that. You'll have an understanding in your brain about what that means for you. And often that's influenced by your story, what you've experienced of fatherhood, of dad, right? And so straight away, I, I, I am super aware the moment I use the word father or dad, um, in a crowd like this, there'll be a lot of people who've had negative experiences of what a dad or a father is. And so barriers go up straight away when someone talks about father because just internally you've got protection things because you've been hurt by your dad or your dad was absent or whatever, abandoned, whatever, those kinds of things. And so it's the imagination that wraps around a word. So I want to ask you this morning just to 
bring down some of those. Uh, if you've got those and you sense in you the mention of talking about fatherhood, talking about being a dad, that brings up sort of stuff in me. I want to just ask you, can you be feel safe enough this morning just to let that come down and let Holy Spirit speak to you and give you a picture of what God the Father is like? Because I think one of the most powerful things that Holy Spirit can do for us is change our imagination so that when He speaks to us about His Father heart and His fathering of us, we get all of the good picture that wraps around that in our imagination. Does that make sense? Because I think for us, we need to be set free from some of the stuff of our past. Okay, I'm a dad. I'm a father. I've got three daughters. I am super aware of the fact that I suck at fathering sometimes. Other times I do a pretty good job, but there are moments when just because I'm human, I've dropped the ball. And you know, one of my greatest prayers as a dad is that, um, that my fathering doesn't limit my daughters <laughs> from being all that he's called them to be. Amen. And, and I think, you know, that's the kind of thing that God wants to set us free from the stuff that limit us to being who God's called us to be. Amen. So we're going to read this and, um, and out of that, hopefully uh, we can begin to paint a, paint a different picture of what God the Father is like for us or what Father is like. So Luke 15 verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all the money, all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I knew this was going to happen. I sort of read it a few times going, God, don't let this happen. Um, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. 
When the older son was in the fields working, he returned, we, uh, sorry, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. I mean, there are so many layers in the story that I could talk about. Uh, from the first statement of the son saying, pretty much, I wish you were dead, dad. Because I want your money. Right through to a dad in the ancient Near East running, which was completely shameful. Right through to the older brother getting angry. And I've preached on this, this thing before, but this morning I want to talk about the idea of fatherhood out of this. See, because I, I think we have this picture of God that predominant, is the predominant view, the predominant imagination around God within the Western world is one where we see him as this isolated guy sitting on a throne waiting to call judgment on us. And when I read this story, that is not at all the picture you get of God the Father. I want to just um, make, I've got seven points that I want to bring out here about fathering. And this is only a small part, I think, of what we could unpack. And seven, and I've got probably about seven minutes. The first thing I want to say about fathering in this and God in this is the father here is always accessible and available. He's not isolated from his sons in any kind of way. He doesn't remove himself from his sons. And he even he's willing to face the difficult conversation of his son saying to him, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. He takes the, uh, he's accessible for the hard conversations. He's able and, and he's available for his sons to talk to him. In fact, all through it, you see that if there's an issue or something happens, you see it with the older son, the father comes to them. He's always on this thing of reaching out and on the move towards them. And I love what Chris spoke about a couple of weeks ago, that God is always in pursuit of us. And he comes to meet us where we're at. You know, you see it with the younger son returning and he's still a long way off and 
the father sees him and runs to go to where he is. He doesn't wait for the son to come. The father is always accessible and available. So I, I, I know one of the things that I had to work through in my mind, and I just wanna take a moment to honour my dad. You know, one of the things I remember about my dad is he worked like crazy, man. He was, he was <laughs> I would call him a workaholic. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I picked up some of that. It's one of the biggest challenges in my life has been in my early journey in, in ministry is having to deal with this whole thing of workaholism and having to, to do and work and do and work and work and, and, and the whole thing of having to be busy to feel like I'm, I'm valued and I'm important and all that kind of stuff, having to unpack that in my own life. But I remember one of the things that, you know, Dad in his busyness, often the, the times I spent with him were while we were doing stuff together. And I learned so much from him in that, but I always felt that he was so busy at times that he wasn't present in the stuff that I was doing. You know, I was able to join him in the stuff he was doing and I was invited to do so and, and he welcomed me into that. I'm sure that was a pain at times, especially when it was a building project. I remember one particular time when I was about, I think I was about eight and I was helping him to lift a wooden window, big well, it wasn't that big. It, was, it felt flipping big to me. It was probably only about so wide, you know, maybe 1.2 metres wide. And we were lifting it in and, and he was on one side and I was on the other. And you can imagine a little eight-year-old boy lifting a wooden windows, heavy man, and uh, lifting it in. And, and I'm sure dad was really taking all of the weight and just involving me and in it, but and I was probably more of a pain because I think he was strong enough he could have lifted that thing on his own and put it in. But he involved me. Uh, I think he regretted afterwards because the window slipped because uh, due, due to me, um, and I fell over backwards and and impaled the back of my head on a nail. Um, well, it wasn't quite impaled; it just sort of sliced it up the top. If I'd been an inch back, it would have gone straight in the back of my skull. Um, anyway. Beside the point, uh, must have been a pain for him to involve me because then he had to stop putting the window in and deal with blood everywhere, as you know, with head injuries. Um, but I was always, he was, he was accessible. He was available. He didn't, wasn't accessible for the things that I wanted him to sometimes, but Father God is always accessible and available. So if your, your picture of dad is someone who's distant, are unavailable, maybe not even around, then I want to encourage you today that Father God is always accessible. He's always available. My second thing is that for God, free choice is central to how he behaves and how he acts. At high cost to himself. He always encourages free choice of his children. It's, you look right back beginning in Genesis, God didn't have to put two trees in the garden. But he chose to because for him, the whole idea of free choice is a value that he cannot cross over. Free choice must always be there for God. And you see it in the story, his sons have choice personal cost to the father 
Like, I can't imagine what it would be like for a father to have their son come in essence and say, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want your money. And the response of the father is, okay, son, here it is. You can have what you're asking for. And I'm sure the father in that moment knew exactly what that was going to mean for the son, but he didn't stop the son from having what he wanted. And you know, I think that is so true for us today. You know, sometimes we're asking stuff for God, from, you know, from God and God goes, I really don't want to do that. But because you're asking, I'm going to give it to you. And unfortunately, you're going to face some of the consequences of your choice. And I wish you wouldn't, but because God values free choice. He values you and I having that choice. And I think that's an essence of what he, who he is as a father to us. He will always invite us into the better way of life, to choose to live his way, but he's never going to force you. He's never going to manipulate or try and control you. He's going to invite you and beckon you and woo you with his love and his grace and his compassion. Which leads me into the third one, which I would say is that you see through the story as God is a God of love. He's moved by love. He's motivated by love. His running to the son is the phrase in here is he's filled with love and compassion. That that is who God is towards us. He is just filled with love. That is who he is. God is love. And we've spoken about this, that this year. The, th the fourth one is compassion. Compassion is this thing that moves us in our guts. You know, this week I had the privilege of, um, of speaking in a, a campaign meeting and uh, in there there was just an incident that happened and I, I just felt this thing rise up within me. And all I can say is it was compassion because I could feel that there was a soul in that room that was hurting. And all that stirred in me was this compassion that rose to do something, to act. And that's what God does to us. You know, there are times where we come to him and all he can see is that we're hurting and broken and he's motivated with compassion. He is never motivated by judgment or condemnation. He's motivated by compassion. Four things so far that I think accentuate fathering. He's accessible and available. He values high choice above anything else. He is a God of love. He is compassionate. And the third one is he's full of generosity. I just the start thing, you know, even that first bit where the son comes and says, I want my share. God says, yes. I mean, that's incredibly generous right there. He had every right in the world to say no and to, to hold what he did. But one for free choice and giving the choice, but also because of generosity he gave. And then when the son returns, he gives. He's generous. He didn't have to do what he did in terms of the, 
the, the jacket and the shoes and the ring and the feast. He didn't have to do that. He could have welcomed his son without any of that, but because of the generosity of his heart, he gave. He celebrated. And it was the same thing he says to his older son is it's the same heart is coming out of generosity. Everything I have is yours. You could have asked for anything you wanted and I would have given it to you. This whole thing of, of fathering, there's this generosity of spirit that comes out of that. Generosity with who he was and with what he had. And I think for us, that's a picture of, it's a beautiful picture of fathering. And the sixth one that I would put out is that the father in here is steady, stable, and predictable. He's a father who's not all over the place, changing on a whim from being angry to being kind, to being compassionate, to being loving, to being distant, to being close. He's, he's consistent, he's steady, he's stable, he's dependable, he's reliable. All of those words you can put around that, that's, that's the Father of God as he's always consistent. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. With God, you can depend on him. We can trust God because he is that Father. You know, he's not a dad that you've just got to be careful of what mood he's in. You know, I, I, I didn't experience this with my dad, but I've heard stories of people when dad came home from work. There was this thing of whisper around the family, what mood's dad in tonight? <laughs> you know? Because we've got to be careful about what mood he's in because... If he's angry, let's give him his space. And if he's tired, let's give him his space. And, you know, there's this eggshells thing. That is not the Father of God, the God our Father. He is steady. He's stable. He's dependable. And I love the fact that he's actually predictable. And the last one, the seventh one, which I think the coolest one, is he's a, he's a God who loves a party. He loves to have fun. I love the fact that this, this father is not boring. Any excuse for a party, I'm in. He even says it to the older brother, if you just asked to have a party, it would have been all on. But you never asked. But when the youngest son comes, he's like, come on, we've got to have a party. It's an opportunity. Let's have some dancing. Let's have some celebration. Let's have some fun. You know, I fully believe that fathers need to be people of fun. And we need to know that God is fun. You know, I love that this morning. We're having fun. Just as, as a church together, celebrating fathers, celebrating men, getting some more meat. Yes. But just having fun in church, you know, laughing, playing air guitar. It's so cool. I can't play a real guitar, so air guitar is all you'll get. But the idea to have fun and let down, let down our guard and just enjoy life and enjoy the fact that we are alive and God is with us and, and we're loved as people. 
and that God loves us and He wants to celebrate with us. I love that And when you read Scripture, all the pictures about heaven start with this idea of a feast and a party and, a, and, and this massive event that everyone wants to come to except those stale, boring religious people who think God should be way more, I don't know, behave properly. And yet God doesn't behave properly in the story. In fact, he breaks all of the, the conventions of his time in the story to run to his son, to celebrate with his son, to enjoy and, and celebrate the moment that that's the God that we have. That's the father that we have. You know, whether it's the fact that you've lost the tooth as an old person or as a young person, We can celebrate. You know, as Mark challenged us with this morning, you know, the idea of celebrating people just for who they are. You know, I think that's God. In the Psalms, it says, how wondrous are your thoughts towards me, God. See, God thinks wonderful thoughts about you. He celebrates you. He rejoices. There's another, another psalm that says he rejoices over you with singing. Like, I just think that's weird. I wouldn't, I, I don't think about my daughters and go, I want to sing. <laughs> that's like a musical, right? I love musicals. I love musicals, but that's not me, as you just heard my voice. <clears throat> But God celebrates over us. He sings over us. That's what Father is about. And so those seven things, God as our Father, and, and I hope that as I've shared these things, it's beginning to shift an imagination in your world about what Father is. Father is accessible and available. Father it values your free choice. He will never control or manipulate you. Father is full of love. Father is compassionate. Father is generous with who he is and what he has. Father is steady, stable, and predictable. Father is fun. He wants to party. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Father, I thank you uh, that through Jesus you revealed your nature. And some of it is contained in this story. And God, for each of us today, I, I just want to acknowledge that there are things about fathering that we haven't got sorted yet. There's areas of your character that we don't fully understand and we haven't yet applied to our lives. And so God, I ask that you would help us. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and where you need to, to adjust our imagination. Help us to allow you in to bring healing where there's hurt, 
where there's brokenness from our story, from our experiences of fathers. But that healing would result in a new idea, a new picture, a new thought about who you are as our Father, as the perfect Father. God, I bless every one of us today to know that we have a God who is a Father who is perfect towards us, who is full of love and compassion, who is gracious, and who's for us, not against us, and he's as close to us as the air that we're breathing right now. Hallelujah. Amen.